But as for our lesson, uh, last week, we started this series looking for direction, which was studying uh, prayers and uh, examples of prayers in Scripture as an example for guidance, for looking for guidance and direction in our own lives. And we're going to look at a couple passages this morning. But I want to start our lesson with actually a call in Scripture to prayer. It's from the Bible. It's from James 1. And I just want to read kind of as we get started uh, from James chapter 1, because James starts his letter to the church with a call for prayer. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generally to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave in the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Last week we looked at Psalm 131, the example uh, that David calls for having a quiet and a stilled soul before God. But he says when he comes to God and he's looking for, for understanding, he quiets himself. We talked about having a quiet soul. And this morning I want to talk sort of about prayer, but mainly about a prayer for wisdom. James says explicitly that if we lack wisdom, if we lack understanding, we should first and foremost ask God. We should pray to God. But we should be comfortable asking him for guidance and direction because James says he gives generously to all. To ask in faith without doubting. James says to doubt God while asking him for wisdom is to be double-minded. And just something kind of interesting, this word James uses isn't found anywhere else in, in Greek literature before this time. It's this word that he kind of devises that means literally to have two souls. That to pray while simultaneously doubting the God you are praying to is as if your soul is torn in half, as you are torn in half spiritually. So James, the disciple of Jesus, tells us that if we believe we are lacking, we are looking for direction and understanding, we should start with prayer. We should ask God. It sounds so simple. We talk about asking God for things all the time. Yet what James calls us to do is something that I think Christians overlook all the time. In terms of any time of uncertainty or if we're waffling between decisions or, or options in our life as Christians, praying should be the first thing we do, according to James. Yet so often, it is the last thing. I, I don't want to get off on this too much, distract from our main lesson, but uh, this is one of the reasons that I guess I have a lot of issues with the expression thoughts and prayers in the modern culture. So often we say it and we feel like we can't say anything else. When people are going through something and we don't know what to say, we don't know how to respond, when something seems so tragic that we don't know how to react, we've got to say something, so we'll say, well, we wish them thoughts and prayers almost as a last resort. When according to Scripture, thoughts and prayers should be plan A. That should be our first resort. That's before we do anything else, before we consider anything else, we should be willing to devote time, thoughtful time, to prayer with God. And so James calls all Christians to pray for wisdom. They lack understanding. What I want to do with the rest of our time this morning is Look at an example of scripture of somebody who did exactly that. It was in a time of, of confusion or needed discernment, and so they prayed to God for wisdom. We're going to look at someone who's, who's, whose wisdom in God was world famous. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter 3, and you can mark that camp out there. That's where most of our lesson will be from this morning. 1 Kings 3 contains two stories. You've probably heard him before. Because if you know one thing about King Solomon, if you know one thing about the son of David, the heir to the united monarchy of Israel and Judah, is that Solomon was known everywhere 
was known everywhere for his wisdom as a televise. So we're going to read a, a couple different sections of 1 Kings chapter 3. And just because there's some longer sections, the verses aren't going to be up on the screen. So I encourage you to grab your Bible and, and follow along. And if, if you don't have one, there's some scattered in the backs of the pews. But we're going to read from 1 Kings 3, beginning in verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord. Walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father. Because he walked before you in right faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on this throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen a great people. Too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I might discern between good and evil. For who is to govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. We know the example of Solomon. The, the passage that follows in kind of the second half of of Kings 3 is that, that famous story of Solomon with the two women who claimed the baby was theirs and, and he came up with this great solution. He said, cut it in half and, and the one who did not want that to happen was clearly the mother. Again, if you know two things about Solomon, you probably know this story from 1 Kings 3. But before the story of the baby and the two mothers is this, this calling almost, calling episode where Solomon has a dream. He has a dream, and God appears to him and says, Ask anything, and I shall give it to you. And Solomon prays for wisdom. Solomon recognized that if he was to lead God's people, that wisdom was important. Solomon recognized that true wisdom comes from God. And if you notice why he sought it, he sought wisdom that he could lead in a way that was appropriate, that he could lead as would be necessary. Verse 9 says that to give your servant an understanding heart. To judge that I might discern between good and evil. Solomon understood that, that leading God's people was no small task. That leadership required wisdom. It required discernment. And it required a fundamental, and this is where he provides for us a definition of wisdom from God. A fundamental understanding of what was right and what was wrong. And notice, not just for his own sake, but for the sake of those around him. He understood that as a leader, he needed wisdom. Paul in the New Testament was not a king, but also a spiritual leader. In almost every one of his letters to the churches, Paul mentions prayers for the church. And in many of those prayers, he, he prays that they would have wisdom. He prays for them. He prays that they would be guided, they would be led by the Lord. And in Colossians and Ephesians 1, both, he says, I'm always remembering you. In Ephesians 3, for this reason, I bow my knees that you might be strengthened. You would be strong in the Holy Spirit. Paul often also prayed for his church that they would be wise in the ways of the Lord. Our lesson from James, and from the very beginning of Solomon's story here in 1 Kings, 
is really almost a point zero that we always have time to pray. If you're at a point of confusion or discernment or a fork in the road, you always have time to pray. It's scriptural. It's smart. And most importantly, it pleases God. Looking back at our passage, that passage we read actually begins that Solomon loved the Lord. And it ends, it says it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. It says Solomon was, was obedient to the statutes and the commands of God. It says he worshipped in the way that the law instructed him to. And it says because of this great love that Solomon had for God, God appears to him in this dream. And so Solomon responds by highlighting David's obedience. Solomon says, I knew of David's obedience. I knew that he walked before you. He was faithful. He was righteous. And Solomon says, I know that because he was obedient, you, God, you loved him. And so Solomon recognized the example of his father. And he said, you know what? I, I saw that David was obedient and that you loved him. And I, I want to be obedient. He says, I, I know that David was obedient. And as a result of that obedience, you were faithful to him. You, you kept him on the throne all of his days. And Solomon says, I want that kind of love from God. I want that steadfast love you showed to David for his obedience. So I want the wisdom that I too might be obedient. Even wisdom was not even the end goal for Solomon. Solomon asked for wisdom so that he could please God. Solomon understood wisdom was pleasing to God. Verse 10, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and you have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor. So that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. God ends with the same promise he made David, the same promise we see him make with many of the, the patriarchs, many of the judges, many of the biblical heroes. He says, if you keep my commands, I will be faithful to you. But God says, because you have asked this, because you, Solomon, you have been seeking to please me, I will reward you beyond your wildest dreams. Because you have not asked for long life or riches or the destruction of your enemies, and you have not asked for any of those self-focused things, but you have asked for that which pleases me, I will reward you. When I read this passage, that second half there, I always, as I'm reading it, I'm always kind of wondering, you know, what would I ask for if God appeared to me in a dream? What, what would I, if God appeared to me and said, whatever you wish, I, I see that you are serving me and you love me. Whatever you wish, I will give to you. And I wonder, like, how far down that list wisdom would be. Because if I say, what do you need from God? We, think we all would just think of all these things. And as I'm reading sort of that list that God has, I'm like, well, why did Solomon ask for a long life? Why didn't he ask for riches? Why didn't he ask for his enemies to be destroyed? I mean... And as a king, asking for your enemies to be destroyed would be certainly helpful in obtaining peace, establishing the reign of, of your kingdom. Riches go a long way toward establishing any family, certainly the royal family. I mean, it takes money to keep a kingdom. Imagine how beautiful and how quickly he could have built that palace with all the riches he could ask for. 
And of course, I mean, who, who, can, who can hope for more than simply a long life? Solomon didn't ask for any of that. Solomon's request for wisdom, along with itself being very wise, was, was asked from a place of great faith. Understand, the, the world around us, the world has a moving target for wisdom. The world has changing standards for, for what makes something wise or unwise, for what's appropriate, for what's not, for, for what defines success, for what is socially acceptable. Solomon doesn't ask to be great by the world's standards. He doesn't even be asked to be great by his own standards. He says, God, make me great in your eyes. Give me wisdom, understanding. In Solomon's time, philosophers all over the world they promised a kind of wisdom that was secretive. That was secretive and could only be revealed if you came to them and, and you sat at their feet and you learned from them. It could only be revealed to a select few. There were all these philosophers who said, well, they had had it figured out. You know, that they knew the secrets of where man came from, of who put the stars in the sky, of what the alignment of the planet meant while you were born. But they would only teach those who came and, and really paid homage to them, who kissed their feet and, and learned from them. But they supposedly had these great secrets of life, but they'd only give it to a select few. I think we see this in a slightly different form today still. All over the place, there, there's people who claim to have the secrets of life. People on various platforms or social medias, are, but they constantly promise to have like the big secret, right? The, the secret to financial success, the secret to health, the secret to a good marriage, the secret to, to being loved, the secret to having power. All over the place. But to have this insider knowledge, right? You've got to get inside the, the in crowd somehow. Many groups even claim to use the Bible in defense of some sort of hidden knowledge. But Solomon recognized that true wisdom is not found in any worldly sources. Solomon understood that wisdom, true wisdom, comes from above. <laughs> Solomon understood that the true wisdom would not just given to this very select few, but it was given generously to all without reproach, as James says. As James says, for the same God who is the giver of all good and perfect gifts, the Father of lights. Solomon, the writer of much of Proverbs, understood that a life spent pursuing wisdom is a life spent pursuing God. The main theme of the book of Proverbs, as we'll talk about in our class really in a couple of weeks, but is that a life spent pursuing wisdom is a life spent pursuing God. Proverbs 13, 13, for example, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but whoever reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Solomon recognized that true wisdom is found upward, not inward. The true wisdom comes from God. It's not some historical mystery that's been kept secret through all the ages, but that true wisdom was found in God's law and God's word. God's law, which was literally proclaimed from the mountaintops and brought down to the people that was taught by the prophets and the servants of Israel, kept in the temple, and, and ideally lived out through the nation of Israel. The Bible teaches over and over that true wisdom... True knowledge, true understanding is found in the Lord. And God's people were to illustrate that to the nations. That's what, it, at its core, that's what it means to be a light to the nations, that we demonstrate that there is wisdom in living according to God's word. 
And so Israel is to be a light to the whole world to demonstrate that true wisdom is found in the Word of God. That those who are obedient to His commands, who walk in His ways, will be wise. And I think the great lie of our time is really the opposite of what's up here on the screen. I think the great lie of our time is that, no, 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 there's no wisdom in seeking a higher power. There's no wisdom in seeking a higher authority. There's no wisdom in seeking an external person to tell you what to do. But no, 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 that all truth can be found inward. The great lie of our time is that true wisdom is found in one's self. You know, it is almost impressive to me the amount of people you can find on TV, on social media, Facebook, anywhere on the internet who are telling anyone who will listen that they have got the secret to life figured out. That they have figured out how life shall be lived and they have these great secrets that everyone ought to know. And then you look at them and you look at their life and you look at what they've got going on and you think, I don't want any of the secrets you have. I don't want to know what you think the secret to life is. I don't want the problems you have. I don't want the goals that you have. I don't envy any of the things you're seeking. But they're certainly trying to tell us. But you know what I mean? Life coaching is a whole industry in the last couple of decades. There's a life expert on every corner just waiting to tell you the great wisdom and insight they have got figured out. Oftentimes from people whose life is a wreck. And listen, I'm, I'm not perfect. Far from it. I always say if I said anything wise in my ministry, it's because I stole it from somebody else. But there's so many people out there trying to offer these great insights or wisdom, and you look at their life and you say, I don't think I want the same thing from life that you do. True wisdom is, is found upward. True wisdom is found in obedience to God. But we live in a culture that just resists that. We live in a culture where, where sources of authority are being questioned more than ever before, if not outright dismissed. But true wisdom is found upward, not inward. Paul says in Ephesians 5.15, Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. He says, because the days are evil, you, the church, you have to be wise. Paul understood that it was a necessity for the church to survive, for the members of it to grow in wisdom, to use discernment and right judgment, because spiritual enemies surround us. But the proud and the self-righteous of the world believe this lie. The world teaches this doctrine, no, 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 I am the one who can discern right from wrong. I can be the arbiter of what is correct for my life. Only I know what's truly best. I am the judge of what is moral. I can dictate what is and is not ethical for me to do. And nobody, nobody, no other authority, no God, no cross, and certainly no old book can tell me otherwise. That's where we're at as a society. Our world teaches that wisdom can be found inward within oneself, but I believe that wisdom, true wisdom, is found upward. The Bible teaches that true wisdom comes from the Lord. Jesus, similar to Paul, Jesus called his disciples to have wisdom. He said, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. From Matthew 10, 16. Jesus understood the mission of the church. He understood what he was calling them to do. And he said, if you go out foolishly... 
If you go out blinded, if you go out unaware, you will lose. If you go out and you do not seek the author of true wisdom, you will fail your mission. And our mission, whether we accept it or not, is to be the spiritual ambassadors to the world. And just to, to clarify, not in the sense that we're the people who should go around correcting everybody and telling them how they should live, but in the same way that God calls Israel to be the light, we should be modeling God's wisdom through our own lives. If we are living correct, upright lives in accordance with God's word, people will look at us and they will want to know the secret we have. It's, it's true. They will notice if we are living in accordance with the wisdom of God. People will take notice. We've been talking about wisdom this morning. I want to clarify a little bit as we begin to draw to a close that the, the wisdom we are talking about is not just salvation. I understand that when speaking to the church, a lot of times we are very salvation-focused, and that is, of course, our mission. When it comes to wisdom, wisdom is for the disciples. Solomon was already a chosen of God when he prayed for wisdom. Jesus told his own disciples, those who had already come to him, to have wisdom. Paul encouraged Christians those who are already members of the church, to grow in wisdom. These are people who are already saved. Paul wanted the lost to get saved, and he wanted the saved to get smart. Paul called the church to have wisdom. And wisdom is more than simply salvation. I would argue wisdom begins at salvation. Because all disciples are washed, but only mature disciples are wise. Paul wrote about wisdom to all of his churches. In almost every one of his letters, he, he talks about praying for them to grow in knowledge, grow in strength, grow in faith. He was clearly not just talking about meeting some minimal standard. He wanted his disciples, the members of the church, to be smart. Hebrews 5.14 says, Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. To distinguish good from evil. Just as the lost in the world are called to be saved, so the saved in the church are called to be wise. They are called to grow in wisdom. It's another one of those things I don't want to detract from the main thrust of our lesson here. But, but one of the issues I've said before that, that I have with sort of this tradition many churches have of, of closing with an invitation is it, it fools the complacent among us into thinking they don't have to change. When, when done right, we offer the invitation to three people, three groups of people, to, to someone who is lost to make a decision to obey the gospel, first and foremost, but also to, to a Christian who maybe has been wavered to, to, to come forward and repent. And then, of course, sort of this catch-all category of anyone who might have any prayer for the church. But the truth is, in my experience, even on our worst weeks, that total number makes up about 1% of us. About 1%. Don't think I've been here and had more than one person come forward at a time. One, we average 100, and now it's about 1% that whole invitation would apply to. Meanwhile, I would argue most, if not all of us, battle complacency in our faith. And so when we focus every lesson as if it could only apply to those who are lost or those who need repentance or those who need prayers, the rest of us, the other 99%, go, well, you know what, I guess I don't need to change anything. And we can fool ourselves into this thinking that we're not really doing anything wrong by simply being stagnant. But the truth is that is in the complete opposition to Scripture. You know what Jesus says about those who are complacent? 
what he says about those who are lukewarm. He says, I will spit you out of my mouth. The Bible calls disciples to seek the wisdom of God, to grow in wisdom. But I feel like so often we will battle complacency in our faith, and complacency is the complete opposite of wisdom. We will say to ourselves, well, I'm not lost. I've been baptized. You know, I, I'm a Christian, and I don't see myself as living in sin, so I don't really need to publicly repent or anything. And so it can feel like there's no specific call to change for you. <coughs> And I think a problem the church has is that many of us stopped growing at salvation. And so we're not growing in wisdom. I understand the Great Commission of Matthew 28 20 is the Great Commission, but I would caution us not to view it as the only commission. The church is called to bring the lost to salvation, but it's also called to bring the saved to maturity. All who are members of the body of Christ are washed in the blood. But the truth is, not all members are wise. Mature disciples seek the wisdom of God. They seek it for the same reason Solomon did, because it pleases God. Because if we love God and we want God to love us and be faithful to us, we ought to pray for wisdom. We also seek it because we need it. Because we look around, we look at the decisions we got to face, we look at what's going on in the world, we look at the way people are living their lives out there, and we say, you know what, I need Wisdom. I need God's help to discern what is right and what is wrong. And we seek wisdom because that's what God calls his disciples to do. All disciples are washed, but mature disciples are wise. We close this morning. If you realize you have become